Welcome to our mini-series on Climate Champions, which is part of our broader Turning the Tide series, which you'll find on our website. This is where we speak to people living on small island developing states, think Kiribati, Jamaica, Mauritius, about how climate change is affecting their islands, and we ask them more about the innovative, creative, and even brilliant things they're doing about it. I'm Naomi Mahara, and I'm a video producer at DevX, and you'll actually usually find me behind the camera. And I'm Rebecca Root, a reporter and editorial associate with DevX, and so we decided to drag Naomi out from behind the scenes and put her on the mic, which is great. Um, And the reason for that is because we wanted to have this conversation because we hear so much about climate change and its negative impacts, but we don't really talk too often to the people on the front lines and those people seeing the most effects more than anywhere else in the world. So throughout this series, we really wanted to hear about what local people are doing, not just to prepare, but to adapt as things like rising sea levels and droughts hit their islands. The idea is that maybe by looking at what's happening on these small islands, we can better understand what's to come elsewhere and how we too can adapt and prepare. So while we will be speaking to some bigwigs, we're also going to speak to climate volunteers, NGO staff, local people on the ground and ask them about the experience they're having on their islands and really try and find out what it is that we can learn from them. So Naomi, why is it we're specifically focusing on small island developing states? Well, we know that the impacts of climate change are being felt around the globe, but it's particularly worrying for these vulnerable communities and among the most vulnerable are small island developing states. And they're often called canaries in the coal mine. Because of their remote geographies, they're particularly exposed to things like rising sea levels and natural disasters. And they often also lack financial resources and international support needed to tackle some of the damaging effects of climate change. And what makes it really unfair is that these nations are some of the least responsible for emissions, but yet they're the ones facing the climate change related threats kind of earlier than anybody else. Um, But while that's true, they're also the ones consistently taking the lead on climate action, I guess because they have to. But that means that they're at the forefront of developing tools, models, institutions to withstand climate change. And so they're the ones we should be going to to ask, hey, how do we do this? So for our first installment, um, Rebecca, you were recently in Jamaica. Yeah, that's right. And I decided to take the opportunity while I was there on a small island developing state to ask, you know, what effects are being seen here in the Caribbean? It's a place that many kind of only associate with reggae, rum and sun, but actually it is a small island developing state that is really seeing some of these natural disasters. So who did you end up speaking to there specifically? So one person I spoke to was Suzanne Stanley. She's the CEO of the Jamaica Environment Trust, which is a, a membership organization and an NGO that's based in Kingston. It runs various environmental education and advocacy programs and has had some major wins, actually, when it comes to trying to safeguard the Caribbean island from the effects of climate change. But in short, it uses education, advocacy and law to influence people's behavior on the island and also environmental policy, just in the hope that hopefully environmental issues become top priority on the national agenda, something which surprisingly doesn't always happen. I wanted to start off by asking about the visible impacts of climate change in Jamaica, what they've been so far, and really what they're anticipating next. We've seen years where it has just rained the entire year. You know, within the last decade, very unusual, very uncharacteristic. Um, And then we've also seen years where it has been completely dry the entire year. So there's this extreme of like, you know, drought to, to, um, you know, intense rainfall or, you know, prolonged periods of rainfall that we just are not used to um, here. 
sea level rise, it's not as easy to necessarily assess on a local level. Um, reason being that there, we have coastal erosion issues that are associated with a lot of other factors, right? So there is sea level rise, yes, we know that there has been sea level rise, but there is, but you know, the study of it on a particular beach or a particular stretch of coastline is really complicated by the fact that, you know, we um, have uh, um, polluted marine waters uh, that have degraded our natural coastal defenses. You have um, very unsustainable um, coastal development practices, you know, things being built just way too close to the shore. Um, so it's kind of difficult to, you know, truly assess that. Um, but I would say that, you know, especially when we're talking about um, a hurricane or, you know, the, the, the the, the impact of the storm surge, um, you know, I think that's when you really see, you know, um, how much the sea has really come in, if you, for want of a better term, over um, the many years. We haven't had one of those super storms, knock on wood, you know, um, touch wood, but certainly we've seen where our Caribbean neighbors have suffered um, greatly, you know, just up to this year. Dorian, you know, sitting over Bahamas uh, for days on end as a Category 5 storm at Irma and Maria a couple of years ago, um, you know, just real dev devastating losses. And, you know, of course, uh, in Jamaica, we see that. And, you know, it's, I mean, there was Hurricane Matthew, I think, was in 2016, and that hit Haiti. And that was a huge storm as it approached Jamaica. And then at the last minute, it, you know, kind of swung all right and hit Haiti. And I remember at that time, you know, looking at it and thinking to myself, you know, we're so lucky that it didn't hit us, but it's just a matter of time before we're hit by something like that um, in the current um, environment um, and, you know, with the changes that we're expecting. And do you think it is on a lot of people's minds here in the country? You know, I don't think that from a political standpoint that, you know, the, the threat of climate change is really being taken as seriously as it needs to be um, as a driving force on the national agenda. There's lots of announcements, lots of uh, policies and speeches and government rhetoric. But, you know, when we're talking about the, the underground decision making, the thing, you know, what's happening at the local level. Um, what's being allowed to happen at the local level, things like uh, wetland removal and modification, um, the same unsustainable coastal development practices. I mean, these all require permits uh, um, and, uh, you know, um, licenses from the state. And certainly um, we, you know, from where we sit uh, um, at JET, we don't see um, that rhetoric, the political rhetoric, uh, um, really translating to underground action in that regard. It's not just about, uh, you know, drought-resistant crops. It's about making very smart decisions uh, um, on the local level as to, you know, where development will be, be allowed or, you know, what kinds of development. Are you already seeing, you know, you talked about the impacts of drought and, and kind of wacky rainfall. Mm -hmm. um, is that having an impact on things like crops? The unpredictability definitely is having um, an impact on our agriculture sector already. How much of that is really being documented and um, reported as being an actual um, effect of the impacts of climate change, um, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that a lot of the work you do also focuses on, on school and young people mm -hmm. and their education about mm -hmm. the environment. Mm -hmm. Why is that so key? It starts, um, you know, with the young people, it starts with youth. We've been working in schools for over two decades through our schools environment program. 
um, and we see it as a part of the puzzle, you know, to improve uh, um, attitudes and knowledge uh, um, about environmental issues. Um, it's not the only part of the puzzle, which is why we've kind, we kind of went into advocacy and into more public education campaigns as well, um, because there does need to be a reinforcement in the society. But it's definitely um, one of the foundations of uh, um, environmental education, um, increasing awareness and appreciation for nature as well, because I think that uh, that's really key. You don't, re you don't care about what happens to the environment if you don't appreciate uh, all the things that nature provides for us and um, how much we are dependent on it, um, especially in an increasingly urbanized world, um, but certainly a very urbanized island that we have. You know, we have a large proportion of our population living in urban areas. Um, I think, uh, you know, those, the kind of rural values that uh, had this great um, appreciation for nature and understanding of how we are connected to the environment um, have been lost in Jamaica over many years and it's about uh, trying to you know bring some of that back where it has been lost or maintain it where it still exists. Something we also want to do is uh, um, engage youth uh, on uh, um, you know advocacy. Um, you know many um, schools participate in our beach cleanup every year um, and you know they always kind of you know after the beach camp they're like oh well we want to do more we want to get involved you know the high schools definitely are very much more interested in the advocacy side of things activism side of things you know but it's where the funding is available and there hasn't been any funding for that for a while so it's unfortunate is there any other organization in jamaica doing what what you're doing um advocacy no I mean, you may have a couple people who are environmentalists and speak on specific issues, but having an actual advocacy program for the environment is not something that has been replicated in Jamaica. So Jeff really is the only one that's doing that. Um, environmental education, there's more of that happening. Um, there's more people, especially as it relates to solid waste, um, you know, recycling, um, um, school initiatives, that kind of thing. And what so, are some of the other wins that you've had over the years? Sometime in 2012-2013 time, we got word that Chinese developers uh, wanted to develop a transshipment port uh, um, at a place called Boat Islands, which is in the Portland by a protected area. Right? So this is a transshipment port in a protected area. Um, we advocated very strongly against it. It was a big national issue. Um, there, it was very um, divisive. Is the word you know? Like you were either for it or against it. There wasn't a lot of middle ground. Um, our main concerns were that uh, it would open up the entire protected area to development. You know, it's not just, it's not just going to be a transshipment port at this one location. You know, there's going to be landside development as well. And, and the area is the largest uh, contiguous stand of wetlands uh, that's remaining in Jamaica. You know, when we're talking about climate change, you know, that's, uh, that was very significant for us. Um, we said, look, you know, it's a protected area. The wetlands are so important um, in terms of protecting the land from the sea. Uh, you know, if we're, we're talking about hurricanes and the sea level rise and they over a year or so there was a very strong advocacy campaign on it so we did public education as well and in 2016 the Prime Minister announced that they had decided to you know cancel the project and they would be um, investigating whether they could do it somewhere else now was it only because of the advocacy um, the environmental advocacy I don't know but I'm pretty sure it had something to do with it so that was one of our um, our major victories as well.
copy country is another one a semi-victory um we're still working on it um we advocated for over a decade with many other stakeholders for the protection of this unique landscape in jamaica called cockpit country um it is the largest stand of natural forest remaining in jamaica but it's also very important from a cultural um, heritage perspective as well um water resources as well a lots of biodiversity unique not only to jamaica but to the cockpit country itself and um, there are bauxite interests. So the bedrock is limestone, and you know, so there's bauxite uh, deposits uh, thought to be all over Copy Country. Yes, I think everybody agreed that Copy Country should be protected, but they could never decide where the boundary would be, because of course, once you establish a boundary, you're saying, okay, bauxite mining can't happen within this boundary, right? Um, and in 2017, the prime minister did announce a boundary. Right, he designated a boundary. And um, we were happy about it, but there were large sections of copy country that were left out. And subsequent to that, a mining lease has been granted, like literally right beside the boundary. So we're sti- there's still advocacy surrounding that. But it is somewhat of a victory to have had the boundary announced in the first place. It hasn't been declared under law yet, so it's a kind of an ongoing issue. But uh, um, certainly there are little small victories there. So. And from those small victories, are there lessons that you've learned or advice that you'd share with other small islands on how they can go about having as much impact? Persistence. <laughs> persistence. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of persistence, patience. Um, advocacy is not an overnight thing. You know, it's it, it, you, the changes are small, um, you know, and sometimes even the victories, uh, um, you know, can be overshadowed by, um, you know, Things that happen thereafter. In the case of in the case of Copy Country is a good one, um, you know. But it's about celebrating those small victories um, and being persistent uh, in your efforts. Wow. So it sounds like Jamaica is really facing um, a lot of challenges. You know, it's vulnerable to hurricanes that have impacted a lot of its Caribbean neighbors. There's also this issue of lack of funding. And it seems that there's also a lack of political will to really um, bring in um, the big changes that are needed. Despite all of those those challenges, I really liked her advice at the end about um, persistence and and to focus on the small victories. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think when you're talking about a problem as big and as vast as climate change, there are no big wins, really. Like the damage is already done. And so it's about taking these small steps and, and as you say, kind of basking in the small victories um, because, you know, it's all these small steps which will eventually lead to, to greater to greater change. Yeah, and it also takes a lot of courage, doesn't it, as a, you know, coming from these smaller countries also to like really get your voice out and to, to uh, maybe battle against a system that isn't really kind of set up to to really support these vulnerable communities yeah absolutely it's admirable and that's why it's it's great that we're smoking that we're focusing on these small island developing states because as you say they they are small but yet they are having an impact and getting their voices heard and, and we we have indeed got a lot to learn from these islands i would say i'm also feeling quite inspired by her messages about education and the importance of um teaching the next generation about the problem of climate change yeah i'd, I'd say um the message is definitely getting across because, you know, regardless of where you are in the world, there seems to be a real um, uprising of young people who really are engaged in this issue. And even we've got a few um, a few of our interviewees coming up on the next episodes are young people based in some of these small islands that, you know, aren't just sitting back but are, are taking real action, which is kind of making the rest of us feel lazy, but is giving us probably the, the good kick that, that we need. 
So that's something to look forward to for our next episode. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you then. Yep. And you can find out more about turning the tide at devx.com. You can also follow us for updates on all the regular social media channels. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You'll find us using at devx. And you can also join in the conversation using hashtag turning the tide. Thank you.